welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. Welcome to another episode of Week in Review. It is almost the witching hour on Sunday evening of September the 24th, 2023, aka the end of week 38. We have a couple of old bugbears out of hibernation this week, so I'll flag them as they lumber by. Um, and usual script. Let's go for the anti-war headlines. Now, on the Ukraine front, there are so many headlines, and they're so boring that I think I might summarise them by uh, quoting a bit of Bob Marley at you. And that is, you can... F- Fool some people sometimes, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And that is that the nasty scab that the, uh, the narrative manager, <laughs> managers from the Western world have been doing their best to keep stuck over the seeping wound <laughs> that is Ukraine has begun to be ripped off. And that which was pretty obvious to anyone back in 2016 when the reports came out about the Nazis who were fighting the uh, the Russian-Ukrainians in the east of Ukraine. And people started to work out that uh, this is starting to look like a proxy war against Russia, isn't it? Ah, there was the coup back in 2014. And then they start running this, uh, this anti-terror operation using Nazis to attack these uh, Russian ethnic Ukrainians in the east. I think I know where this is going to go, and now we know. So the headlines say all the things you'd expect, that uh, the war's going to go on forever, uh, Russia's winning anyway. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, well, There's a classic, the Pentagon says, oh, the fact that, you know, the, the annual, oh my God, the US might run out of money, stupid bullshit that they roll out every year, <laughs> the Pentagon but says, but don't worry. We're still going to keep fighting Russia. I mean, supporting Ukraine over there in La La Land that you guys don't even know where it is on a map. Everything's fine. It's classic, right? Oh, let's just roll out some of these dumb headlines. Uh, Yeah, here we go. As I said, G7 official says Ukraine war could last for seven more years. (laughs) Seven more years of fun. (laughs) And uh, that was a big one. Uh, Poland says it's no longer arming Ukraine amid grain spat. Um, God, I love Dave DeCamp's headlines, <laughs> grain spat. Yeah, the, the grain that was uh, coming from Ukraine uh, because it had to go overland because they couldn't ship it out through the Black Sea anymore, it turned out to be absolute crap. <laughs> and it was undercutting the prices because it's shit grain that uh, Poland's... Uh, uh, agricultural sector we're making. So now there's about to be an election in Poland. So the local people are going, well, the prime minister or whoever he is is going, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. We're just, we're not going to send any more soldiers to, uh, to Ukraine because yeah, fuck that. <laughs> I mean, this classic local political stuff. Sorry, sorry, narrative managers and, and NATO people. Sorry, can't do the war anymore anymore. There's an election on. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then here's a good one. White House close to providing Kiev with cluster armed attackums. Like instead of um, we've run out of all of our normal artillery rounds, so we'll give them the cluster munitions. <laughs> and now they're gone. What we'll do 
is stick cluster munitions in the long-range missiles that they can use to attack Russia. This is after they've said, we're all good with Ukraine attacking Russia. I mean, as if we didn't already. All right, enough of this shit. (laughs) There it is. Pentagon exempts Ukraine operations from potential government shutdown. (laughs) All right, give me a break from all this shit. (laughs) Right, Pacific, Pacific China, here we go. Some more interesting stuff. US deploys drone ships near China for first time. Okay, it's not that interesting, but, you know, it's just, there you go. Oh, that's a good one. Air Force General Defense Memo that predicted war with China by 2025. <laughs> but what was the defense? That was what I was told to sort out. We want to have a war between... Jesus. Um, uh, China conducts drills in the LSC in response to US activity. U.S. what activity? What are they holding? Beach parties or what? Yeah, yeah. All right. I don't think that's terribly wise on China's part, but, you know, it's their neck of the woods. <laughs> they should be able to have beach parties on their warships. Um, this is this is interesting. U.S. discussing mutual defense treaty with Saudi Arabia, similar to Japan, South Korea, writes David Camp again. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if that's got anything to do with Israel. Um well, yes, uh, so hints Richard Medhurst uh, in his program, which we'll get to later on, because um, that's one of the bugbears. Um, we have uh, Sullivan holds constructive talks with Chinese foreign minister amid soaring tensions. We're still on the Pacific China front. Um, oh, this is, this is one of the bugbears. It's not, it's not such a good one, but it's a little one. Um, Millie, that's the, that's the head of the... U.S. the defense spokesperson or something or whatever. Chinese spy balloon. Remember that one? Chinese spy balloon collected no intelligence. What does that mean? If it didn't have any sensors in it, then it couldn't have. You see the wording problem there? It's like it collected no intelligence. You mean it wasn't collecting anything? You mean it wasn't a spy thing? Oh, it was just a weather balloon. Oh, how about that? So this was a beat up <laughs> from the beginning. Ding, ding. Uh, and then, of course, the good or the next one. U.S. to establish new Space Force command post in Japan, because why not? Um, uh, then here's an interesting one. We've been following the um, Niger and um, Gabon uh, situation recently, and this is a good one uh, from Connor Freeman this time at anti-war. Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso establish military alliance vowing to collectively defend against external aggression. And what that means is that France, and it's, now France has got a bigger problem than it had previously. Now they're all clubbing up against France. God, won't these colonists just calm down and be happily ruled? Oh dear. So, as I've commented recently, this is about, because of the new strategic realignment with Russia, China, BRICS slash the Shanghai Cooperation Organization as part of the Belt and Road Initiative, doing their thing and undermining the tools that the US slash NATO slash the Western banks use to control their fiefdoms. Uh, there's a bit of room to manoeuvre now and, and uh, some former colonies are going, oi, <laughs> it looks like we might be able to get our necks out from under this bloody boot. <laughs> anyway, you get the idea. This is alarming. Um, the Caucasus, right? So the headline is Azerbaijan launches new assault on Nagorno-Karabakh. And what's happening there, actually, is that 
Armenia, the Armenian uh, political leader, uh, whatever the title is there, has basically said, uh, yeah, you know that contested territory? Yeah, we don't care about it anymore. <laughs> and the reason he's doing this, of course, is because what he's been told is if he wants in on NATO, then he has to make sure that there's no uh, um, uh, conflict occurring on his territory. Otherwise, it's going to be really difficult to get in the front door. And as we know, the invitations are always open. So he's gone, right, well, if I want to do that and get all the kickbacks that come with it, and everyone else who's in NATO, you know, is the military-industrial complex is going, yeah, there's plenty of kickbacks, we'll get some too. <laughs> he's gone, right, well, if I just get out of this sort of civil war thing over this contested territory, then we're all good for the, for the, for the goodies. And so he's going to pull out, all right, that's all good. And then Armenia, uh, sorry, Azerbaijan's gone, cool, you don't want that territory anymore, good, we'll have a go for it. So that's what that headline's about. What's really happening is a, a geostrategic play very similar to Ukraine happening in the Caucasus because they tried it, you know, in 2008, nine didn't work and Ukraine's falling apart, so fuck it. <laughs> Back to the Caucasus, we'll try it again. I mean, geez. I mean, you could cry. I'm, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> right. Middle East. US-European partners sanction Iran amid prisoner swap negotiations. So, okay, we'll swap prisoners, but we'll keep putting the sanctions on because we're never going to let you out from those. Oh, God. There is actually a missing headline. This, I think, is a bit of a mistake. Now, anti-war didn't re report that um, uh, Syrian President uh, Bashar al-Assad is in China, Beijing, actually, and he's getting the full red car uh, carpet treatment from Xi Jinping. And, of course, what's happening in the West is that all people who put all of their um, eggs in the basket of funding um, extremist jihadists to bring down uh, the, the Assad family as the continuous rulers of Syria has failed horribly <laughs> because he's been, you know, Syria's been readmitted to the Arab League. Everything's going rather nicely. You know, they're chumming up with, you know, Egypt and various other um, uh, local leaders, which has, of course, all led through Russia and China and, you know, BRICS and the SEO organisation. But anyway, so, yeah, so he's, he's doing rather nicely, having a good time making business deals uh, with the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing. So moving right along. Uh, in NATO non-Ukraine, we have one interesting headline from Andy Orr. Senator Menendez indicted on corruption scheme benefiting Egyptian government from Kyle Anzalone. So there we go. Another corrupt politician in the US. Who would have thunk? Moving right along on the BRICS SEOBRI front, we have Kim, that's um, the uh, president or whatever it is of uh, the Democratic, People's Republic of Korea, that's North Korea, concludes visit to Russia with goal of increased across-the-board relations. Again, from Kyle Anzalon. So, uh, hardly surprising. Uh, and on the Assange front, we have Australian MPs call for Assange's freedom during talks in Washington. And that concludes the anti-war headlines for the week past. In the and what the hell did all the other people have to say uh, section, we start with the same categorization, the Ukraine and US. And so we have a report, The War by Numbers of Humans by Bernard at Moon of Alabama, which of course is just going to tell us that there's a lot of dead people and the vast majority of them are Ukrainian. 
Uh, and then we have uh, Ukraine's biggest arms supplier orchestrated the 2014 Maidan massacre. Witnesses say, and this is by Kit Clarenberg, uh, which from a, just a week or two back, and it's published at Natalia's Place, Understanding Russia. Uh, that's a, a if you're interested in what the hell went down at the Maidan uh, massacre. It's interesting to follow it up. Um, there were some really good comments by uh, Tejas, uh, the American uh, from Texas, who went and fought war the Russians, whose name escapes me at the moment. And his his call was that they actually two of the snipers that did the attacks that attacked both the police and the protesters fessed up to it, and they got, I think they got paid five thousand US dollars. Uh, to do this, and I think they were from somewhere in the Caucasus or something. Anyway, so we know that you know that the um, the whole thing was rigged from the beginning. And if they got paid in US dollars and and such a pittance, it's probably the CIA or MI6. Who knows? Whatever. So this is another look into what the hell happened there. So it's worth it if you if you don't know the story, check it out. Um, then we have oh, an interview by Greenwald with uh, Aaron Mate's father, Gabor Mate. Uh, and the title of the program is Ukraine's Reconstruction in Black Rock's Hands and Gabor Mate on Explosion of Antidepressants. So, um, yeah, that's on Greenwald's system update. And then we have uh, a really interesting piece by uh, Elizaveta Antonova, translated by Sam Brizial tricky names there again at Natalia's place and this one is Medusa which is the name of the the publication it was the article was originally published in with the title an experienced negotiator and a proud Crimean Tatar what the appointment of Ukraine's new defense minister says about Kiev's evolving war strategy very interesting article so you know, if you're interested in these sorts of things uh, and then we have the Ever-wonderful M.K. Badrakuma at Consortium News with the Biden phase of the Ukraine war. Uh, and then we move on to John Hellman uh, coming out with Sailing into the Black, U.S. sanctions war is good for Russian shipping Greeks too. So he's been really focusing on what's going on in the Black Sea and the naval component of the war and the shipping um and of course the grain deal and and so forth. So he's he's well up to speed on that. So if you're interested in these things, check out that article. And then there's a you know a bit of video stuff from Consortium News this week to watch high level UN Security Council on Ukraine. So that's Volodymyr and 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 his friends versus Russia and their friends. Um, and then we had it. There's a whole sequence of little articles from Andre Martinov this week, which all of which I found quite interesting. There's one video piece which is with um, Garland Nixon, uh, which I haven't watched. But anyway, so they're they're sort of listed there. There's um, one which is an article which is about Larry Johnson, um, uh, and and the way he's described the U.S. Uh, national security advisor and all-round slimebag <laughs> Jake Sullivan. Uh, and then there's a brilliant article, uh, which is again short from Martinov, which is about um, uh, Vandercrazy and makes this absolutely wild historical blunder. Uh, it's called Europe, it's head. And then there's, a, there's one to do with the 
recent attacks on Crimea, and particularly the naval port in Sevastopol, by Ukraine, uh, by Martinov, and it's, it's called ZKP. So that's, you know, he knows these things. He's a former Russian naval officer, right? So if you want to know the real story behind what's going on there, check him out. Um, and then to conclude the section on re Ukraine, we have, is Western support for Ukraine crumbling? And that's the latest weekly interview of Alastair Crook with Judge Bolotano on judging freedom. So from Andy War, we got that article about the military alliance between Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger uh, happening in former French West Africa. And there are two articles on that region from other people. And one is of the inestimable Vijay Prashad titled The Alliance of Sahel States. And the other one is from Matthew Errett, who I haven't featured in a long time. It's called The West Destroyed Africa, Eurasia Will Revive It. And Errett's very much an advocate of the BRI project. So coming very much from the uh yeah that approach which aligns with mine in terms of the uh land versus sea power shift that's happening um and in other voices we don't have anything on the caucasus which is a bit disappointing because what's going on down there with the with armenia essentially withdrawing from nagorno karabakh is quite alarming and it's going to produce another version of ukraine unless people i don't know I think we can already see where it's going to go, let's put it that way. Moving on to the Middle East, we have report from European Parliament challenges OPCW's Syria cover-up. Aaron Mate interviews Piers Robinson and Hans von Sponek on um, Aaron Mate's program for the Grey Zone called Pushback. And this is a doozy, and it is the first of the bugbears. So if you don't know what happened around uh, in Duma, and it was back in 2018, he said, hoping he was correct on the date, um, there was essentially what was alleged to be a, a chemical weapons attack that occurred in this outer suburb of Damascus called Duma. Forty-something people, I think it was 43 people, died. Um, and the West alleged that Assad had gassed his own people and in response to this allegation, unproven, and they instantly launched, and by they we mean the US, the UK, and France, if I remember correctly, uh, launched missiles uh, at Syria. So essentially an act of aggression against Syria without any authorization from the UN Security Council, so a completely illegal thing to do on, under international law. Uh, and they did it anyway. And then, of course, what they had to do was make sure that the uh, the allegation stuck. And to do that, what they had to do was undermine the investigation that the Organisation for the Prevention of uh, Chemical Warfare, Warfare, that's the OPCW, did. So they sent a team of investigators onto the ground. At this stage, uh, earlier, uh, Russia had assisted uh, then... Uh, President Obama uh, by convincing Assad to destroy all of his chemical weapons because stupid Obama had said that, you know, if they used, uh, they being Syria, uh, chemical weapons, then that would be a red line. And, that, and then if they crossed that, then that would, you know, the US would have to become involved. And so, of course, the warmongering military industrial complex 
affects assholes with great all we have to do is fabricate a chemical war weapons incident and then we're in like Flynn so that is exactly what the, they did because they were funding most of the um, extremist terrorists and so it was a, you know it's not easy to get these nincompoops to do something like um, you know effectively stage a chemical weapons attack but they tried and they failed because the weapons inspectors, uh, sorry, the on the, the what are they called? The fact-finding mission um, uh, experts went and visited, and because Assad had removed himself his weapon stockpile, and he didn't do it, he said, "Sure, come and have a look." So they did, and then the report had to be fixed, and it was. So the U.S. basically uh, uh, fixed the report so that it the it removed all of the doubt that was in the initial report. And replaced that with almost no doubt uh, and you know uh, allegations. So so hints towards it sort of says there was a chemical. You know, it's not absolute. So but you know you can understand that these judgments sometimes are not entirely clear cut. But the initial report, <laughs> which was repressed, uh, had plenty of doubt about the use of chlorine. Anyway, if you want to know more about that, check out the interview. But the the Big reporter on the entire thing has been Aaron Mate. He has testified before the United Nations Security Council many times. Um, and so if you don't know about what that's all about, check it out. His initial reporting, uh, as is to this day, uh, has been for the Grey Zone, although he has his own Substack site now set up, in which, and he's putting some of his stuff there too. Anyway, that's what that's about, bugbear number one. And... The, oh, and the the point behind this this is a this is a beauty. Who? So where does this information come from? Well, this is this new report report from European Parliament, right? Who the hell funded that, or who who organised that? And da -da 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 it's the rebellious, rabble rousing, crazy Irish of uh, of Claire Daly and Mick Wallace. Go so. And as uh, is stated in the interview by Piers Robinson, and actually uh, Mate, as he introduces the, the program, it's about an hour long, that this is the best uh, consolidated uh, combination of all of the publicly information, uh, available information. So this is uh, the, uh, the initial report that was then suppressed, that was, was leaked to WikiLeaks, which is how the whole thing started. Um, again, WikiLeaks, they're everywhere. Um, yeah, so, and all of it, everything that's come out and, and so forth. So, uh, so there's a one-stop shop now. It took them two years to put this together, the four of them. So it was Van um, Sponek, uh, Piers Robinson, and uh, anyway, two others, which they talk about in the program. So anyway, there you go. Moving along, <clears throat> back to the Middle East. We have Assad in China, Israel-Saudi normalization, UNGA hottest moments and more. This is Richard Medhurst on his uh, live YouTube uh, program, uh, and it's over an hour and a half long, but, you know, in his usual style. But he is the person that brought to my attention that Assad is having a nice time in Beijing. So well done, Richard Medhurst. And then moving on to NATO, in all the other areas except Ukraine, we have. Biden is the latest president to tout the Vietnam War as proud history, from Norman Sullivan, published at Shearpost. And we have 
Uh, a follow-up article on the Senator Menendez indictment slash corruption uh, allegation, and that is Egyptian uh, Egyptians beef eaters paid a special tax, money used to bribe U.S. Senator, and that's from Barad at Moon of Alabama again. Uh, and then we have uh, the real reasons the Derna Dam in Libya broke from Manar, and she is the editor of... I will find out and stick it in the text. Um, anyway, it's interesting to see her writing an article, and I I have yet to read this, but I went, oh, I should. Anyway, um, and then we have an article by Ray McGovern. It's been a while since he's featured here. Um, if the facts come out, it could spell the end for Joe Biden, because we all know about the complete corruption behind, in the Biden family um, around the, the Ukraine war, uh, as in, you know, his son being paid 80,000 bucks a month on, to be on a, a director of an energy company in Ukraine when he doesn't know diddly squat about energy, etc., 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 etc. And then we have, after NATO, after NATO, Storm Daniel came for Libya. This is from Vijay Prashad. But I couldn't help it when I read this headline going, hang on, Stormy Daniels? Like, is Trump back involved in this? But no, it just turned out that Daniel was the name of the storm that broke the dam, etc., etc., right? But anyway, Stormy Daniels is back in the news. Um, and then we have uh, an article by Patrick Lawrence at Consortium News Court, Unsweet Dreams. And then uh, another, he's been busy this week, Psychosis and Its Consequences by Patrick Lawrence at Shearpost. And then Hedges uh, has brought up the other bugbear, which is humanitarian imperialism created the Libyan nightmare. And that's got a different, and that's at uh, Searpost. Uh, and it was also republished at Consortium News, where they stuck in R2P as part of the headline, because that's what it's all about. This responsibility to protect, which was, you know, created out of a whole cloth by the modern idealist ideologue um, human rights warriors, uh, you know, who who uh, graduate from university with their degrees in believing that, you know, hum, human rights are incredibly important, uh, but they don't study uh, in their uh, political economy the economics part, <laughs> uh, and they certainly don't study logic, because what they did is they said, right, your human rights, Libyans, are so important that what we're going to do is impose a war on you, which, of course, will remove all of your bloody human rights, these bunch of twats. Well, they're working for a certain, you know, uh, arms manufacturers and so forth. So he goes into that, which is nice to see it raised again, because that's exactly what happened. And in fact, it was this thing where Russia and China essentially um, abstained at the UN Security Council to allow the West to have their UN Security uh, Council approval to establish the no-fly zone and then have uh, Colonel Gaddafi murdered with a sword up his anus. Yeah, it went down like that. So this complete chaos, which then, of course, led to millions of refugees that are still flowing into Europe. The country is completely divided. All of this chaos, right? And it's all because of the... You know, the right to protect, the responsibility, not rights, responsibility to protect. So it's nice to see uh, Chris Hedges raising that old bugbear. Moving right along, um, the question uh, about Biden by Patrick Lawrence. I presume that's more on the, on the uh, uh, c corruption front. 
Um, and Michael Brenner's penned an article, US Can't Deal With Defeat. Um, I like reading him, but I haven't read this yet, but I threw it in there because, you know, he's a good writer. Um, and then there's an interesting one here. Uh, Trudeau's Skripal Moment, Ruins Relations with India by the Alexes. And the, so the question is, did the Indians actually uh, murder this um, Sikh uh, separatist who was in Canada? Maybe, maybe not. Um, however, uh, the this separatist movement in Khalidistan, or some, I can't remember the name of it, uh, is being harboured in um, Canada, where they've got all the human rights, um, along with all of the um, the Ukrainians uh, who supported the Nazis in their pogrom against the, the Russians and the Poles and the, <laughs> and the Jews uh, in uh, Ukraine uh, during the second later part of the Second World War. Uh, they're also having a good time in Canada. In fact, one of them is actually the uh, what's it? She's the um, finance uh, minister of finance, whatever. So yeah, so this 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 thing's gone down, and who knows whether the the assassination occurred or not? It happens all the time. That's what military intelligence agencies do. Uh, but it's it's created this big spat between uh, Canada and India, and the question is why the hell would that happen? And the answer, of course, is because Trudeau doesn't do this shit <laughs> off his own bat. He's doing what he's been told to do by probably his military intelligence agency, the Canadian, whatever they're called, who are getting told to do this by the Five Eyes, uh, which essentially means the CIA. So this spat is running down uh, because, obviously, um, uh, India's uh, pre uh, Prime Minister, President, I have to look that up, Modi, has done something that the, the, the US don't uh, like. And the, the Alex Makuris, his... Uh, the claim is that the thing that the US doesn't like is that uh, during the recent G20, which was hosted in India, they came out with a joint statement which didn't bash um, Russia enough. I suspect there's more to it. I, it was Badra Kumar who came out with an article that described Modi's recent visit to Indonesia as being sort of world-shaking. I think there's a there's more to it than uh, Mr. Makuris is um, uh, has included in his analysis, and I think it's got a little bit more to do with the the acceleration even of the change in uh, international trade flows and currencies. And Indonesia is a very important nation that nobody except the Australians think that much about now. Uh, many do, but it's, it rates well below the radar uh, in Western uh, news. Indonesia's got a population of 280 million, something like that. It's the largest, in terms of population, nation of Muslims in the world. And it sits in an incredibly strategic uh, location. That The Straits of Malacca are the way to get stuff from the east via the Suez Canal to Europe. So, and, you know, on one side it's Malaysia and on the other side it's Indonesia. So it's an incredibly um, important country uh, and it's, its history is, you know, just strewn with having itself smacked around by the CIA from left to right. I think the largest genocide in the 20th century occurred there, which was run by the CIA. 
uh, against communists and other, you know, local Indonesians. Uh, that was back in the 60s. Anyway, moving right along, uh, we have the, the title that the Alexes have used, the Duran uses there, is Trudeau's Skripal moment. And I'd just like to remind you of another uh, bugbear, and that is the Skripal case was this um, uh, completely faked, in my view, poisoning of these uh, Russian people. The Russian people were meant to point, that's right, some people who were meant to be Russian operatives were meant to have poisoned some British people right next to the uh, most specialised laboratory for poisons uh, in all of the UK, and the whole thing's a complete beat-up piece of shit. And the person who did that reporting, the best of it that I saw, was Craig Murray, and he'll come up just down below. So, uh, and here we get to uh, the uh, Australia slash Assange section, and we have... Grey Zone interview with uh, Max Blumenthal, and this is Craig Murray at his own site. So, it's a, Max Blumenthal is interviewing uh, Craig Murray about uh, Assange and other things. Remember that Murray's also the whistleblower behind the CIA torture program before Kiriakou, back in 2006, when Murray was the British ambassador to Uzbekistan. And then we have um, the visit by the Australian MPs to uh, Washington or wherever it is. Uh, Australian MPs endorse Spring Assange Home Delegation uh, from Joe Loria. Uh, and then there's uh, some more video pieces from Consortium News on the Assange uh, thing in Washington. And then there's another piece which I stumbled across uh uh, by Binoy Campmark, uh, published at John Menadieu's uh, Pearls and Irritations, which is a great Australian uh, publication, and it's entitled Overthrowing Allende, Australia's Special Role in Destroying a Democracy. And this was published on the 20th of September, so that's nine days after the uh, 50th anniversary of the CIA coup against Salvador Allende. So I did not know that Australia had a role in that, so I was quite surprised to see it. So there, that is why it's included. And because it's a special week, we got two pictures from Mr. Fish, his fantastic cartoons at Shearpost. So I've included them for a bit of graphic joy. And we move to the final section, which is uh, looking at articles published by the Yes X or No newsletter this week, and there's only one that could be selected, and that is the article titled A Lasting Voice to Parliament, A Constitutional Legal Analysis. So Australia is about to go through this referendum, uh, and it is to create a an agency, uh, a body, as it says in the constitutional amendment text, uh, which would be an advisor to the government on matters that concern uh, the first peoples of Australia. And the government, the wording is very careful, such that the government can completely ignore uh, this body that it would create, and also nobody else apart from the government, the parliament, um, through its own legislation, can control what this thing does. So they can do whatever they want, apart from destroy it, so they can underfund it, ignore it, ridicule it, or they could, you know, engage with it and find out interesting information. Whatever the hell they want to do. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so there we go. So this and the uh, conservative uh, 
coalition here, that's the Liberal and uh, National Parties, uh, are running a campaign against this uh, referendum, uh, the No campaign, which I'm shortly to publish an article on. And let me tell you, as a little sneak preview on that article, it amounts to a, a, uh, a political variant of the campaign which Microsoft ran against the GNU Linux operating system back in the early 2000s i.e. fear, uncertainty, and instead of doubt, it's discord. Fear, uncertainty, and discord is the political strategy of the conservative forces in Australia to ensure that Australia's first people do not have an effective voice to speak with Parliament, i.e. they are denying these people ex the exact advice that they give to anyone who complains about politics. Well, if you don't like politics, then get involved. And that's exactly what the Indigenous First Nations are doing and uh, conservatives are saying, no, we won't, you won't have any of that. So there you go. So that's that analysis waiting for your perusal, should you be interested. And because we have just, we're, all, we're just hitting the 26 minute mark, it's time for this show to be over. Have a great time wherever you are. <laughs> Catch you next week. Until next time. Mm -hmm.